Good evening. Questions? Yes. Um, in this morning's reading, Sridhar Maharaj described the material atmosphere as a foreign, concocted, dreamlike substance. I wondered if you could elucidate on that and explain that a little further, especially that last point, dreamlike substance. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I did make a attach a comment to that, but I th- I'm not sure whether he intended it in that way, but uh, that comment aside, which I'll readdress, uh, I think that he is referring to the material world as being insubstantial hmm? um, in comparative in comparison to the subjective world or the world of consciousness, which is what we often speak about and emphasize, um, and which is in contrast to how we, uh, materially speaking, we tend to perceive things and how we function, um, which is then the nature of the material illusion, if you will. That something, maya means that which is not. So you think something is real, that's not, that it's tangible, that you can hold on to it. Um, and to use a comparison to the dream in relation to the waking state, we think that the waking state is real and substantial because we can, or it appears, we can hold on to things. And uh, really, in fact, they just don't transform as rapidly or as dramatically often, um, or at least not as rapidly, uh, as they do in the dream state, and therefore we give more uh, credibility to, to to the waking state, and, and, and it's a state where we seem to have more control, hmm? which is also an illusion. But in the in the in the dream, we don't seem to have as much um, control. So, so to compare the material existence to the 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 uh, kind of the illusory dream state in one sense he's saying like we perceive dreams to be hmm, and therefore don't give them as much credibility don't lead our lives on the basis of them they come they go we say it's only a dream you know forget it you know I had a bad dream and it goes away and it's forgotten and, and that's it obviously some dreams can have you know more bearing on one and longer impressions, but that's the general state, and um, and there, uh, uh, so in a way, he's comparing, com- excuse me, comparing the material waking state, or the general condition of material existence, which obviously includes the dream state, but but comparing it to how we materially conditioned, identified with the objective world, relate to the dream state and saying we should give as much credence to the uh, material world in general and the waking state and as we do to our dreams. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and so on and so forth. The comment I made was that um, to call it, uh, refer to it as he does, it in effect uh, appears to say that 
the material world, matter, the objective world, is more thought-like, more consciousness-like than than not, hmm? which is to say that it's less concrete and um, tangible, if you will, and so forth. And these are some of the findings in, in, in today's contemporary. Um, scientific community that the material world I heard um, there's a famous professor at Berkeley whom I, I, I like and he's a very reputable, reputable uh, physicist Henry Stapp um, and he um, um, has written a number of books and he is of a very firm opinion that the brain should be viewed as a quantum kind of mechanic whole and in doing that and so forth there's there's um, room for understanding the place finding a place for consciousness as a causal um, factor and in that scenario the world the quantum scenario the world becomes material world is is but potentialities, potentialities that present themselves. And it requires a conscious observer to determine between potentialities and then um, action is uh, proceeds. And so to call the world, and as it um, is often thought, from the quantum perspective to be potentialities is, is very different than how um, people have been thinking and continue in everyday life to think about the material world, the world of, of matter, as something very hard, if you will, and solid. Hmm. Um, and so I heard him in an, in an interview some time back, um, because it's popular also to in some very kind of pseudo-scientific and pseudo-spiritual circles to say that the quantum uh, uh, physics reality um, establishes that there's only consciousness, there's no matter. Hmm. And, uh, and other such ideas that are correspond with some forms of um, Eastern spirituality, like that would be... Um, more that conforms with uh, Advaita Vedanta, which says there is really no material world, hmm? um, which is a hard sell, but anyway, that's the idea. So, um, at the same time, there are some more, uh, much more scientifically credible and spiritually credible um, notions um, arising out of a you know, kind of quantum perspective of the of 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 um, the physical world, material world, matter, that um, that um, um, obviously make room for consciousness in, in in ways that are scientifically credible and spiritually credible as well, 
And so it's a very interesting kind of field in, in a sense. I just acquired a book uh, this today uh, called Quantum Enigma that uh, should prove interesting, written by two very reputable physicists um, in very, very um, non-scientific language, and they teach it at, I think, um, University of California, Santa Cruz, which is like, you know, very uh, consciousness feminist, original school of feminism, I think. Um, and you went there. Um, and, uh, you know, idea type, open-minded, um, and spiritually leaning type of place. But, um, uh, and uh, I just skimmed over it, but they, they seem to, they, they definitely see that, that uh, they see consciousness as being not material and and um, having influence on on matter. I looked and see how they seek to demonstrate that influences matter. So they quoted Stapp in the book too. And, but anyway, um, in the interview with Stapp, he was asked by um, the famous now um, Indian ex doctor who became an Ayurvedic. Maharishi and then left the Maharishi and has now become a guru. Interesting guy, nice guy, but a little, little, uh, um, perhaps superficial. His name is Deepak, Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra. So Deepak Chopra was interviewing him and he asked Mr. Stapp, Professor Stapp, that, well, you know, so. He asked him a leading question, which was um, the gist of which, the answer for which he was expecting was that, that from Mr. St- Professor Staff's perspective, is there anything really out there called matter? And he's expecting a no, which would have... Um, he would have identified with because he identifies with the Dvaita Vedanta and this idea that there's only consciousness, there is no real material world. So it's kind of like a monistic idealism. You have a monistic physicalism. Everything is just matter. And you have monistic idealism, which is pretty much a Dvaita Vedanta. Hmm. Although it's an odd thing, because I've said before, to be aware of nothing, but just to be aware... In other words, there's no object to be aware of. It's kind of questionable what what awareness is. Uh, but that's the idea. Obviously, we have a different idea that makes more sense. Hmm. To be uh, that there are, there's some, there's more than just undifferentiated consciousness at the bottom of everything. There's, there's determinate, indeterminate and determinate consciousness. Consciousness is qualityless and then there's, Consciousness with qualities that you can talk about, say something about, that you could be aware of, and so forth. Krishna being the the distilled essence, or or, or Brahman being the the uh, diluted hmm, Satchidananda. Krishna is described by the Goswami as Satchidananda Gana, concentrated Satchidananda. Hmm. 
So you could say it the other way, Brahman is diluted, Satchitananda, something like that. So it's an interesting idea, and that's why I say like we like to you know, plumb the depths of consciousness. We're going further and and, and and finding the whole world therein and so forth and so on. Um, and there are consciousness objects, right, within the the subjective world, if you will. Um, Krishna's form, other um, devotees, and so on and so forth. So, anyway, uh, Stapp answered the question by way of saying, he didn't go along with that there's no world. He said, well, I'd have to say that the world... Yeah, I think Chopras is their only mind or only consciousness. He said, so, well, I, I would say that there's 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 identifying the two, which of course we 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 differ there and put mind as a subtle form of matter. But but at any rate, Stapp said, I'd say that that it's it's more mind-like than we think it is. Hmm. But he obviously maintained that there is a world. Hmm. There is an objective material world, but it's more mind-like, more dream-like, uh, if you will, to use Sridhar Marsh's. That was kind of my my note. Like it kind of, the way he talked about it um, works well with contemporary thinking about what the objective world is about. It's less subject. It's more subjective than than it would have we would have thought. Hmm. And this is all, you know, in physics they have the, the classical Newtonian physics idea and everything was like made out of atoms. And so there's all these building blocks and you put them together and you have these solid things. And now they've come to the conclusion that, that in between the atoms, I saw one thing once some time ago, there was like a football stadium or something like that. And, uh, and they showed like... Um, how did they do that? They had a couple atoms or something like that. And, and the space of the football stadium was like the space between the atoms. In other words, <laughs> it's like 98% you know, space or something like that. And then there's atoms. So that's like, doesn't, doesn't even compute with the way in which through the mind we, we derive experiences of the world and they register and then we we, we think about how the world is. I mean, solid things. I mean, you reach out, you touch somebody, you solid. Where's where's the space? You know, so somehow it's not like that. It, to me, it's very magical and interesting, in that it just really overall conforms with the Bhagavatam's you know kind of one word description. Maya. It's imme- it's not measurable. It's it, it's illusory. Um, it's not that Maya. It's it's not it's not not that it's not what you think it is, and and so forth, and and as we um, in human society try to, as units of consciousness, try to examine the world in forgetfulness, often of our of ourself and our our position in relation to it, um, which is interesting because. Even in the most general sense, you have to acknowledge consciousness. Like the laws of physics, physics really are very just conscious projections of ourselves, hmm? which amount to ways of 
talking about things. They're not these hard laws that that you, you think of them like that, but they actually have their ground in human consciousness. Like I guess it was, I think it was Heisenberg who said, "We don't really experience the world, but we experience our experience of the world, and then we form laws and stuff to talk about it." And, and so when you talk about it like that, it becomes more like, "Oh." It's not like these hard and fast laws, and that's how it works, and 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 so on and so forth. So it's much more um, subtle, and um, and the and the more, as I say, as I was saying, as humans examine the world, the real world, as it's thought, the the ideas that come out of it over centuries are so ex- different. Um, Oftentimes, uh, and uh, the shift that can come in uh, the quantum thing from the f- classical thing is just is huge. The implications of it all, uh, the acceptance even of it all, is um, still in the making. Hmm? Einstein really re- re- resisted it very, very strongly. I mean, it says that two things can be in different places at the same time. Hmm? <laughs> and that just doesn't measure up with you know how the how it works pretty good for us, but uh, again, we have a very different perspective. So, in a sense, um, you look at it from one side; it's, it shows this, and then that side. Uh, so it's very very magical in a way. Vishnu Maya, you know, it's there's the uh, there's the story in the Bhagavatam. I was reminded of the other day uh, of Mark and Rishi. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but Mark and Rishi asked Vishnu to, you know, show him the material world. He was a Rishi, and but he thought, let me get a you know full picture of the material world and just see what it's what Vishnu Maya is like. And then he just like is turned into like. Uh, in, uh, into the world, and the world goes into devastation, and then the rains, and this and that, and the whole thing. And he wakes up on a what on a banyan leaf somewhere in Navadweep, I think, or something like that. Or the even out like, whoa, you know, it's like he's just like, sorry, I asked. You know, he wakes up millions of years later, you know, having gone through a quick, you know, like whatever experience plunged into material existence and forgetfulness and, and it's, it's just overwhelming and so Krishna says it in the Gita Mama Maya Dharatya it's like insurmountable it's my Maya and and uh, don't think that you can you can play with Maya it will get burnt she's big and you're small you need to take uh, shelter of someone who's bigger than Maya. Mama Maya Dharati. Mamevaye Prapadyanti. Maya Mitam Dharantite. But those who take shelter of me, they can easily cross over Maya. Otherwise, he says, it's not possible. Hmm. So these are the kind of descriptions. They're, they're, in one sense, they're, they're vague. They're not real specific, and it's made of this, and it's that, and so on and so forth, and in detail. But the overriding description of it is, is comprehensive. Hmm. In a, in, in a way that uh, that, uh, that no kind of mathematical type of description, I think, uh, 
can be. It's, it's in, in a, and it's in a word. Hmm? Two words, Vishnu Maya. Hmm? It's not apprehendable. It's not measurable. It's got you. <laughs> it's got you, and you're trying to you know, figure it out. Um, you, know, you, you might compare it to, to an ant or a small insect on the table, and you can put it in all types of You can put a glass on top of it, you know, and then it climbs up the wall of the glass, and you take the glass off and put a, a cup or, you know, move the tablecloth, and it's a different substance. And you know, How's it going to figure out what, what's going on? Hmm? Uh, your power over it is just inestimable. Hmm? And... Um, and so Bhagavad is more or less saying this is our position. And there's no reason, there's no reason to believe that, that that's not the case from a biological, evolutionary, let's say, um, point of view. There's no reason to believe that we should be able to figure everything out. We accept that other species of life can't figure everything out about what the material world's like. Hmm. Hmm. But there's no reason from it. There's no reason from an evolutionary point of view that we should be able to that doesn't that doesn't measure up but we think that we can for all we know they think they can too <laughs> their ideas about so worlds within worlds this is the whole you know we're part of the big part of the message of the um uh, virata rupa lila of the bhagavatam of, of krishna ate dirt balaram complained Krishna's eating dirt. You know, I've been told to watch out for him. And, you know, he's like, I've got a report. He's eating dirt. Krishna became upset. Mother Yusuka called him. He said, no, I didn't. I, he lied. I didn't eat dirt. And she said, well, let's see. Then open your mouth. And he opened his mouth. She looked inside and she saw the universe. Saw enough dirt to, you know, to bury everybody. And, uh, and then she saw herself in, in Vrindavan, and Krishna in his mouth, looking at her, looking into the mouth, and inside that, another world, and and so forth. And saw herself looking into Krishna's mouth, and she looked back like this. Siddhartha said, and the cat meowed, and she came back to reality. Oh, it's just my son. <laughs> uh, he did eat dirt. I have to chastise him now. Hmm? Somehow I got, you know, there was daydreaming there, something like that. Uh, so, the, and the, the import of it is, such is the nature of the world, world within worlds, within worlds. And, um, and uh, as much as people thought, I guess, in the intellectual and scientific community, century past, that they pretty much figured out the world, and these are the basic forces, and so it works, and and um, in the classical Newtonian perspective, like a clock working, it's been set up, and, and, uh, and so forth, that you're just finding it's just not like that at all. Hmm. Um, the thing about that perspective is there, that there, there are so many things worked from that perspective, practically. Hmm. So, but the quantum thing, it doesn't contradict whatever is found in classical physics and in, but there's something said apparently much more about the world than, and the place for consciousness. Is, oh, there's the opening. 
which the classical perspective had really no place for. Maybe a place where consciousness somehow set it up, we don't know how, but then, then to, for it to enter in or have an effect from there on was just not not possible. There's no place for it. And there's, there's no place for us in it. So it's not very valuable to us in a sense. Um, but things are changing. So so the... Uh, I mean, the, the explanations of the, of the of the world are are. Uh, I was reading something. Some fellow was saying the other day that that he that that he was a physicist. I think complaining about these pseudo scientific and pseudo spiritual ways of trying to say that, the, that, as I said earlier, that the quantum perspective says this and verifies whatever way to be or something like that in some simplistic way. And he said, um, he said, he said, that is not um, accurate. And the fact is that as far out as that would be, what we're finding about the world from the quantum perspective is more far out than that. It's more, you know, bewildering and, and uh, kind of impossible to, to understand and get a grip on and so forth. I've said before, you know, they get a grip on it to some extent for pragmatic human purposes, but to get a grip on the whole thing and understand it and so forth. It, it, some people do posit that that uh, that we don't have the, it's above our pay grade to understand, which would go back to that evolutionary um, reasoning that I gave. There's no justifiable reason that we should have evolved to a point to be able to understand everything hmm, about the world. Um, so that's why I say, I mean, if you look at it carefully, uh, there's nowhere that modern science has turned to outside of itself hmm, um, in their effort to explain the world, reality, find a theory of everything, which was the you know idea of of, uh, of, of, of Einstein. There's nowhere that science, modern scientists, look to more outside of itself than Eastern spirituality hmm? and what's been said there for centuries about consciousness. Um, so that says something for the Vedanta. Hmm? You can want to make more out of it than 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 need be and is accurate, but it, it says something powerful about it, that it still has an enduring uh, voice, compelling voice, and in the world today as to the nature of being. I mean, they haven't turned to Mormonism, you know, or, or um, Catholicism in the same way. So, so it's interesting time, and that's why I say that Science, modern science was born as a Christian. Modern science. There's pre-modern science too, because science, in a way, is everybody does science. Everybody makes experiments in their daily life, gets some data, and makes conclusions and functions on the basis of that. We do something, we experience it. We do it again, we get the same experience. If it's a bad experience, we don't do it again, and we conclude this does this, and and so forth, and proceed with our lives. But modern science, I think, is kind of just honing that way in which we function and creating conditions 
and then that are controlled and then experimenting in great depth and coming up with data. Um, and, uh, and so that enterprise, modern science, scientific revolution, was born in here in Christian Europe. And it was thought that by the the, the, the principal players and so forth, and the church, which ran the Western world, India was just off in its own world, you know, celebrating Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Was, you know, when was the scientific revolution? Seventeenth century, sixteenth. Anyway, sixteenth century, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was performing Sankirtan in Bengal and the rest of India. Correspondent with the with the Renaissance in Europe, hmm. um, uh, and so out of that, anyway, out of that Christian world came this modern science, and the scientists involved and, and the church, which is running that that whole world, thought that now with this um, help of what has now become modern science and this methodology, we will demonstrate objectively the uh, factual existence of the one true God and we will retire all the paganism and other superstitious quasi-spiritual, quasi-pseudo-religious ideas out there which Christianity had been retiring in Europe by other means. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so forth, and so that when you get things like some vaccine, you know, and it stops the bubonic bubonic plague that that regularly would wipe out, you know, sections of Europe, and you have faith in it, hmm. and um, and so of course, as they went on, modern science, which was born as a Christian. It started to become, um, I would say, an agnostic, and its findings, rather than proving the existence of the one true God, and so forth, started to bring into doubt the idea. And when so, when this classical Newtonian physics idea uh, ascended to the throne, as I say, there was no place in that understanding of the world for a God to perform these miraculous activities from a scientific point of view. The only way that you could continue to believe that was was some kind of miracle. God did miracles because otherwise, simplistically speaking, for example, motion requires contact. So one physical thing touches another physical, physical thing and there's motion. That's why, as I said before, when Newton discovered whatever gravity, they thought, oh, he's going back to the occult because he's talking about somehow there's movement without contact. Hmm? And that's spooky. Hmm? And we know that's not possible. So then, of course, they can never explain gravity, really. All they can say is, this is happening, why it's happening. That kind of spooky gravity just kind of got incorporated into science and let's not talk too much about it and, you know uh, kind of <laughs> more or less that's what happened um, but 
in that uh, understanding of the, of the objective world, there, there was it was becoming apparent more and more that there's no place for God to perform miracles unless they're miracles, and, and so, and then he wasn't performing too many as he would, I guess, in other times, and so then this agnostic perspective became prominent, and then those who were previously maybe Christians um, became deists with the idea that there's a God that somehow set it up, but he's not actively involved. Because if he was actively involved, we'd be able to trace it out, you know, and see this touched this, or, you know, this is how it worked, this is how the influence, uh, because we know the influences, we know we're finding how things work and fit together, and, and we've got these basic substances or forces, whatever, gravity and electromagnetic force, strong and weak nuclear forces, and so forth, and so we know about how the world works. And so they became agnostic. And as time went on, of course, deism turned to uh, atheism. And from agnosticism, deism was still a belief, but you know, the agnosticism was on its way. So, so agnosticism to atheism, I'd say the dominant thinking, it's not the thinking of every scientist out there, and it's not the scientific uh, factual conclusions, but there's an interpretation of the data that leads to the prominent understanding that is um, atheistic. Hmm? The implications of which, as I've many times said, nobody can live up to. It's a talk that nobody can walk. Hmm? The idea that there, there's, there's no overarching meaning to life, there's no, there's, the lights are on but nobody's home, there's no self. Hmm? Um, and of course, people are resisting this, as I say, but they're a smaller contingent of people who, 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 who resist it. They may be religious, they may not be religious, but they just, they just doesn't compute for them. And the data is not in any way conclusive. Data that you derive from your experiment in a controlled environment uh, you know, is subject to interpretation. There you go, back again. The consciousness is interpreting it and... And, and so forth. And, and so, but because you have certain successes, pragmatic successes through science that are purported to make human society better, and in some ways perhaps they do, I don't know if they do uh, comprehensively. Basically the material life is, as I was explaining to some this morning, it's avoiding uh, discomfort and pursuing comfort. Hmm? And comfort or discomfort is determined by the senses. That's what material life is. We try to avoid discomfort and find comfort. Hmm. Tiag and Bogue. Hmm. And they just move back and forth. Hmm. These are the two tracks. That's why the systematic paths of karma and jnana, we say, under themselves won't take you anywhere. Hmm. To hone the, the comfort-seeking tendency and to hone the the uh, discomfort-avoiding tendency. These are the sophisticated, if you will, in the sacred text, paths of karma and jnana. And see if you hone it with help. It's help from above. That's what the sacred texts are about. You can get, wow, what comfort you can get. Hmm? You'll be comforted knowing that you're going to live for, uh, your chart says you're going to live for 108 billion years. And, and, and everything you do will be enjoyable. 
and there will be no negative repercussions. That's how the heavens are described. But 108 year, billion years, you know, it passes. <laughs> then the deck is changed, and again, you, you know, the idea is that again you come back. It's just, it's all, in one way, it's just a way of saying, no matter how much comfort you get, and so forth, you know, it's only going to, it's going to come back around the other way, and there'll be discomfort, and so forth. Then there's the systematic path of Gyan for avoiding the discomfort, avoiding the discomfort, and of course it ends up in in um, eternal uh, peace, but only to the extent to which bhakti is is factored in is it efficacious in that regard. So unto itself. Without any bhakti, it can't produce that result. Hmm? Where bhakti now is not about exploitation, karma, or renunciation, gyan, tyag, but about dedication. So do you think, I'm a servant of Krishna, servant of my guru, my business is to serve my guru. You're on a whole different platform, you understand, immediately. You're not looking to avoid comfort, uh, discomfort or to find comfort. You're looking to serve, and if there's discomfort involved, it doesn't really matter. If there's comfort involved, you don't get intoxicated by that and think, I've arrived, and wow, life is great. And so you have a whole different perspective, and it's, you end material existence. It sounds very simple, but it's, 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 that's, that's the idea. It is, it is simple. I went off on a tangent there about that. I lost the track of the thread that I was, was going with in the, in the, in the context. Uh, we were talking about whatever. Hmm. Something about the material world. And how, well, that was way back. Yeah, way back. Um, uh, I have to go back and listen to the tape. But unless uh, you can uh, recall. Well, we started with Sri yeah, yeah, no, it was more recent. We were developing the... the hmm? Quantum science. Oh, the, the scientific path from agnosticism to... Yeah, right, right, from agnosticism to... So, so from Christianity was... Science was born as a Christian, then it turned to agnostic. Hmm? And now it's largely atheistic, as I say. Now there are some people, as I was saying, that aren't atheistic and they're interpreting the data, you know, differently, um, or the or they're pointing out the data is not conclusive, the data is not conclusive, it doesn't it doesn't say that. Hmm? That's where you, you know, have your faith, leap of leap of faith, and um, and it's your projection, um, and again in, interpretation. So um, don't still don't know how we got from there to where I went, but on a tangent. But anyway, that's just, just a side and a side, a tangent. From atheistic, this is the dominant thinking. This is the dominant thinking. And there's no meaning to life. Hmm? There's no purpose. There's no overarching meaning. Um, um, there's no, as I said, the lights are on. Nobody's home. There's no self. Hmm? Um, and it's a kind of a talk that nobody can really... Uh, walk. I often say that actions speak louder than words. So, 
we have our ways of you know of um, dismissing such and other thoughtful people maybe religious maybe maybe not it just doesn't work for them that just doesn't it just doesn't make sense um, so there is a there is a minority like that but um, the successes maybe this is what I was saying the successes of modern science that seem to make life better and so forth. These, this has power. This causes faith because material life is about avoiding discomfort and getting comfort. So if we can avoid discomfort hmm, and have comfort, I'll believe in that. That's what, what I'm doing anyway. So if something comes to help me with that, or it appears to, hmm, and it appears to in the short term, we don't know in the long term necessarily what that might be. Hmm. Gee, just see. Pour this on the land, and the and the vegetables grow bigger. You know, and after a hundred years, the land doesn't produce anything or something. You know, then then so so those those are the kind of bigger questions. You know, about industrialism and so forth. There's the whole idea. Well, without industrialization, we couldn't feed the whole world. And then uh, and we say, well, then the problem is is that people are having too many kids. <laughs> And try to tell that to somebody, you know, that you can only have so many kids. I mean, it, it, it would be a revolution if they passed a law like that. But we say it is common sense, that, you know. That's not the be all and end all of life. Having kids, you know, There's, you're involved in a bigger picture, and, and so on and so forth. So it's basically that the desire for that freedom is the freedom to indulge and and to have. And uh, enjoy it. So, and we say it's problematic. <laughs> it's problematic. There's a good example of it. So, at any rate, science uh, would get some data and make some experiments and you know, create some comfort and does away with some discomforts. There is a faith in it, and and then the world's moving in that direction, and and uh, you have that whole legacy of things that have been invented based on data put in the hands of technology, and here we go, we're leaving the middle, middle, medieval times way behind, and their ideas about a soul floating around in there somewhere, consciousness, you know. Uh, but it's, 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 hold on, you know. I, I saw another fellow interviewed a couple years back, he was a Christian fellow from England, a good speaker, and, um, who said, you know, who said he was asked that so many things have developed, you know. We used to have certain ideas about consciousness, but so much has developed in recent centuries and so forth that, you know, how can you maintain ideas like that about consciousness now? He said, well, things have developed in, you know, some sense, and it's, but, but as far as consciousness goes, I don't see any development. What's the development about understanding consciousness? Hmm? It hasn't happened. Uh, so why should I have a different idea about it? Hmm. It's all kind of like speculations and so forth, but nobody's put their finger on what it is, and 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 so uh, and there's nothing to prove that it can't be what it was thought to be, hmm. even back then. Hmm. Uh, Stapp made a nice argument, that, and I won't go into the details of it. But there's nothing in the physical laws that we've decided on <laughs> um, that uh, that. Um, Mandates against the idea that there could be uh, something um, survival, 
and reincarnation. There's nothing. It doesn't contradict any physical laws. Most people have don't look deeply enough to hear something from science, read the news, and, and they, they think you're crazy for saying that. But I mean, people have really looked into. So there is a contingent like that that uh, that is um, not arriving at such a I want to say non at a physical conclusion. You could arrive at a conclusion that consciousness is not physical and still not, still not be a theist, which we would say to to Vedanta is. It's not theistic, ultimately. Hmm. That's why I'll get to that. Well, as I say, from modern science, born a Christian, became an agnostic. Now it's become a you know it's in its in its in its, in its maturity. Hmm. It's pretty mature now. Hmm. In the Newtonian times, it was in its adolescence, and it was becoming a agnostic. Now it's mature, and it's becoming atheistic. This is the dominant. Um, uh, notion, but my theory, of course, is as I've said many times: if it is to grow into old age and be wise, hmm? one thing is to be mature; another thing is to be wise hmm? in, in old age. Then it will have to become a mystic, and that's where you find this—the heart of any religious tradition, the essential spiritual idea that has to talk about ego-effacing and the nature of consciousness and, and so forth, which has some correspondence with the, what they're finding out about the world. There is a place for it in, in quantum that it wasn't. And quantum, everything about quantum equations are, are true. You can't get around it and so forth. So so uh, this is this is a meeting point, really. Hmm? Um, and it's, it's, it's why. So... Um, I could see the world going towards, you know, an Advaitin perspective on consciousness. Uh, they're still not ready to accept our ideas of Leela and a magical world of, of um, uh, under this influence of the Sarup Shakti and all such compelling ideas. But, but they, now they're willing to give an ear. So go ahead, give an ear to Dvaita Vedanta, and then 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 you got an ear. Then then we got a foothold. So I'm not against that. Uh, for that, that gives you a foothold to speak. Then say something, and, uh, and go on from there. As it's easy to take, you know. As I say, simplistically, well, that's loving to be. How about being to love, existing to love? So the Gaudiya Vaishnavism has its. It's placed, it's day, uh, so to speak, hasn't fully dawned, I think, in contemporary thought. It's possible. Now, you know, the other possibilities, the world will just go very um, more dominantly in an atheistic um, direction. And and then there's, there's, there's good reason to believe that that um, direction can be catastrophic. Um, you know, tampering with the nature of nature. It's pretty good. It's pretty cool the way it's set up or the way it is. So to tamper with it, the nature of it is is to play God, of course. And whether you're as good as the God that did it in the first place, or, you know, 
you want to deny God, but you but but really you want to be the God in a sense. There's no getting around it. <laughs> they want to say there's no designer, there's no controller, and then suddenly you become the designer and the controller, and you're creating the world as uh, in in the laboratory and making it the way you want, seeding the clouds, and so on. suddenly suddenly it's a God and it's you. There's a controller. So that could be that could be catastrophic, I would say. So we'll see. Um, but it's an interesting uh, time, if if you will. And looking really closely, I think that the scientific findings they they just they say they leave a big opening for wow. This more than anywhere else, what we're seeing has some correspondence with Eastern spirituality. Hmm. By far, you want to be careful not to make you know sloppy connections and, and so on and so forth. Like everything they're finding was found in the Vedas, you know, it's all written out there ahead of time. You know, it's not going to be too convincing. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everything else, right? <laughs> Just write it in. Puranas, the ongoing revelation. It's the famous Bhavishya Puranas. They got everybody's in there. They just write them in. You know, Muhammad's in there. Jesus is in there. You know, uh, so forth. So yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, time when the objective world is, is is looking more subjective than not, and, and consciousness is, is, is a it's a hot topic. They would say it's a hot topic, and uh, opinions are very uh, diverse, and um, and some of them have a lot of, as I say, correspondence with basic ideas of Vedanta, and and and, and I mean even Shankar's idea is dualistic in a sense. He says that there's consciousness and there's matter. He just says that matter is, is an illusion. It's not really there. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I know that, but that's what he says. That there's a superimposition on Brahman that is the world. And but what, as I was explaining the other night, it's to me, it's, it's it, you cannot have. I was asked by Gyanish, is there really an objective world out there? And I made the point: well, if there's not, then how could how could you be in illusion? Because if you're Satchitananda, then where's it going to come from? Where's the bewilderment going to come from? How's it going to come from within yourself? It's like saying you fell from Baikutha or something. How's it going to happen? If there's an external bewildering influence, then for some types of souls, like the Tasta, then that makes sense. And we are bewildered, so. It can't be coming from subjective world alone it can't be hmm. I guess uh, he calls it Leela of, 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 of the Nirguna Brahman it's the Saguna Brahman it, it's it's the weaker point hmm. Shankar so there's a world out there and it's what did he say illusory dreamlike hmm. and and uh, not what would what not 
not what we think it is. That which is not, another translation of Maya, that which is not. It's not what you think it is. It's magic. What else? Yes. Uh, you wrote somewhere that Nityananda Prabhu does more than anyone else to facilitate the surfacing of the serving ego. Now, how does he do that? Well, he is said to be the mool, the root of the serving ego. So without a root, you don't have a tree or any branches. So he is the very Godhead in the form of a serving ego. Krishna is the Godhead in the form of an enjoying ego. So his counterpart. So amongst the gods, if you will, or the manifestations of Vishnu, Vishnu Tattva, he's the basis. And therefore, and then from the from the Balaram comes the Sankarshan, and and and, and then there's the the uh, the Vishnus, the Sankarshan in Dwarka and the Sankarshan in, in Vaikuntha. He said to be the ground of being there, and then the ground here to the Mahavishnu, and to the different Vishnus and so forth, and so all of these expansions, avatars, and so forth. They they have some serving ego, and it's rooted in him. Hmm? Now we're the vibhinamsa, the separated parts, and we have our um, origins, if you will, uh, in, in an eternal present, also in Mahasankarshan, hmm? or in or in Vaikuntha Nidhisiddhas from 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 Sankarshan, or from Ingolok, as Bhakti Vinod. Um, puts it um, from Baldev. There are Nityasiddhas there. It's mentioned in the Paramatma Sandhava, there are Nityasiddhas in the Paravyom. So, um, they're Tatastajis, but they're, they're, they've never had the experience of material life and they never will. So, from Baladev and in, in, in Golok and from Sankarshan and from, from the Mahasankarshan, the, the material world and the source of the jivas, he's described. And so, they are jivar sorupoi niti krishna das. They are eternal servants of Krishna. They are dependent entities. So Prabhupada used to say, for example, that the dharma of water is wetness, that which is inseparable from the thing is its dharma. So inseparable from the jiva is it's, that it's a dependent and and they're in that sense a serving entity. So as we say often, um, you might not want to serve Krishna, but you're serving Krishna's material energy in the form of the demands of your mind and senses, and the sense objects and so forth. And they're driving here and there, and and there we are. We're we're servants of our senses, servants of our minds. So in any in any circumstance, we find ourselves we're we're a serving entity, hmm? um, in a broad sense. And, of course, when we think of, think of the serving ego, we, we think more... It's really the term we used there in Chaitanya Charitamrita is bhaktabhiman. Hmm. So bhaktabhiman means the serving ego, which is then... You know, it's a little, little different than serving the material energy, which is, which is the purushabhav, but still you're serving. So... so um, so Balaram as the, the mool of the serving ego 
sets the example, and he's the, said to be the genesis of it. Now, in ourselves, where does serving ego in relation to Krishna Bhakti come from? It comes from the Guru, right? And the Guru is Nityananda Prabhu Baladeva is Akanda Guru Tattva. So means that he's the, the kind of the reservoir of guru. Hmm. And then and then there's the uh, there's the macrocosmic guru tattva and then there's the microcosmic, the swasti and the the vyasti. Vyasti and the swasti. The, the kind of like the macrocosmic and the microcosmic. So the microcosmic means the guru is coming and guru parampara. Hmm. We have our guru. Small guru. But he's big. Sashita Marsh gave the example if you want to look at the stars through a telescope, hmm, there's a small lens here, and then it gets bigger, 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 bigger. So if you think, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to look through the small lens. I want to look through the big lens. And you're just going to get a headache. You're not going to see the stars. <laughs> so the guru who appears locally towards us, in relation to us, is bigger. Hmm. And the whole Akanda Guru Tattva, I would like to have Nityananda as my guru because he's the big guru, the, you know, the folk who could be bigger than him. Well, yes, this is not a good idea. This is, this is the way that you can do it because if you get one real guru close to you, then you get all the gurus. Then all the lenses work and you see through all of them and they all work together to give you the picture of the sky as it is with no headache, something like that. So it's a nice example. So we get the serving ego from the guru. The guru is, in this, this sense, a manifestation of Balaram, who, because he is or she is Krishna, Sakshadhari Tvena, a representational form of Krishna, but in a serving ego. So that's Balaram. He is Krishna, but he has, unlike Krishna, who has the enjoying ego, he has the serving ego. So Guru is the same same principle, and so we we get serving ego from there. Does that help? Yes. Well, what's the time now? What time do we start now? Six thirty, six four. So we've been an hour. Yeah. Okay, that's good for this evening. Interesting discussions. Yes. Thanks to a good, curious audience. Mm. You have to learn how to take these ideas and apply them and practice to get the serving ego. Nitananda Prabhu ke jai, Tirakshaksi Radeva Goswami Maharaj ke jai, Esi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada ke jai. Sadant Sarsati Taku, Prabhupada Kijai, Bhakti Vinod Puribar Kijai, Gaudu Bhakta Vrindakijai.